Hello, and welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guest today is Dr. John Strax, a family practitioner who uses integrative medicine and mind-body approaches in the treatment of illness and chronic pain. Welcome. Thank you, Tom. John, I'm extremely excited to have you on the program. You and I have traded ideas for a few years, and I've learned a lot from your approach, and I think you've learned a few things from me, too. So it's been a really mutually enjoyable relationship. But John's a family practitioner in Chicago. I met you maybe, maybe five years ago through our um, roundtable that discusses some of these mind-body ideas. And we've had breakfast a couple times and talked over the phone a few times, and then we share a common employee. But I've been watching John's energy and approach for a long time and really impressed with it. So John, welcome to the podcast. And would you mind introducing yourself a little bit more than what I just introduced? Sure, thanks. Thanks for having me on, I appreciate it. I uh, am a family practitioner trained at the University of Chicago for medical school and the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, Michigan for residency and fellowship. I actually came to medicine a little bit on the later side. I was 31 when I started when I started medical school. And I had done a fair amount of yoga and nutritional work and was quite interested in things outside the medical mainstream before I even got to school. I also had had my own health issues that I've talked about fairly extensively in, in other podcasts online that I was able to solve by reading Dr. John Sarno's book. It was about in 1998. And I had some hand and foot pain that nobody could solve. Nobody knew what it was, what it was. And I ultimately figured out that I had too many stressful situations going on all at the same time. And it was coming out in physical ways. And so I got to medical school with the knowledge that chronic pain was often not related to anything that was going on physically in people's systems. And so as I trained, I tried to keep a hand in that world, the mind-body medicine world and the alternative medicine world as much as I could and finished school and specifically applied to residencies in family medicine that would let me do integrative medicine fellowships as well. And so that's how I ended up at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor for four years doing a family medicine general practice residency with at least one month in the integrative medicine clinic every year of residency and then a full year at the end. Oh, okay, so you're trained both in fine practice and integrative medicine, correct? Correct, correct. Okay. Board certified in both. Gotcha, okay. Then you already know my lines that I think integrative medicine is a term that should be discarded because I think that's what mainstream medicine is supposed to be. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So we're having, we'll talk about this later, but I'm having a hard time with what mainstream medicine is offering as treatments because there's a paper came out last month in the journal Pain documenting that every intervention we do for chronic knee pain and spine pain has been documented to be ineffective, been documented in deep research to be ineffective, yet we keep offering those treatments with the promise of a cure and it doesn't work. So, and we know that the techniques that you and I have been using and the principles that you and I have been using have been extraordinarily effective for a long time the data supporting has been there for 50 years, but we're simply ignoring it because of the business of medicine. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's interesting. So you, you joined a group, you were an employee for a while, correct? 
So I was an employee for a while. During my residency, I actually, I called, you've never met Dr. Sarno, correct? I did. I met him once. Oh, you met him once. Yeah. And so I would call him repeatedly, actually, even from before I was in medical school. And he kept sort of pushing me off and pushing me off. And when I was in medical school, he said, oh, you don't even know what you want to do with your life. And so finally, in my second year of residency, he invited me out to New York City. Okay. And I spent a few days with him there and saw patients with him and watched him speak and listened to his patient panels. I did that again during my first year in medical practice. Okay. The other thing that I did when I got to Ann Arbor is that I did a quick search of who was interested in this kind of work. And Dr. Howard Schubiter's name actually popped up between right. the time I accepted the University of Michigan and moved to Ann Arbor. He had just started his practice. And so okay. I spent a lot of time with him in Detroit, seeing what he did and talking with him about mind-body medicine and seeing patients. And his book was initially a, uh, a manual that people would use for a group class that we sponsored. And so my year in fellowship in it, <laughs> sorry, my year in fellowship in Ann Arbor, I, uh, I started teaching those classes to patients in Ann Arbor. And so four or five of us would get together and talk about various aspects of pain and how the mind related to the body and a number of them got better. So when I was applying for jobs, I told everywhere I was applying that I wasn't coming unless I could do this kind of work And Northwestern University in Chicago, hired me into their integrative medicine center to do some of this work as well. And so that's how I started at Northwestern in 2009. And were you able to do the integrated medicine in that setting was that was that because you're now in private practice. So I'm curious. Let me go back in the in conversation for a second. So, um, what was it like being with Dr. Starn? I met him once. I, I he was you know fairly old elderly when I met him, but I'm just curious what it was like working with Dr. Sarno. We it was great. I so I worked with him twice, um, both for two or three days at a time, and so I spent the entire days with him. I saw patients with him, got a sense of how he interacted with people, what he told them, how he explained. I still, uh, with some regularity, will use the wording that he would use in those individual appointments to try to explain how stress and life shows up in our bodies and becomes pain. Um, I watched him give his lecture and I give versions of that lecture still to this day and then sat in on his panel discussions with a number of patients who had gotten better and 75 or 100 people in the audience listening and answering questions. And so it was really a treat to be out there, interact with him, see how he interacted with patients and get to know him just a little bit. Yeah, I heard that he actually, before he saw every new patient, he would actually interview them on the telephone for about 15 or 20 minutes. Correct. So he knew that they were basically open to his ideas before he saw them, which I think is a very enlightened step, by the way. And I also heard that he was very personal, listened to people. Did he give me any insights how he came to these realizations himself? Did you ever get a feel for that? I don't know that we talked about anything different than what he talks about in his books, that sort of in the beginning of his career, he was trained in a conventional way. And he, I believe, had some physical medicine and rehabilitation practice. And so he put people through the general physical therapy exercises that he had been taught to do and found that it just didn't make nearly as much difference as he wanted it to. But when he started talking to his patients and getting a sense of who they are and what they were going through, that's really when it started to 
click for him that people's experience with pain and symptoms was much more related to who they were and where they were in their lives than anything that was going on in their bodies. Right. One thing that um, I know Dr. Starno encountered very steep resistance to his approach for many years. Is that true? That I think is absolutely true. And, you know, he practiced out of one, you know, one room office and the first floor of New York University Medical Center. And I think he had been in that office his entire career. He had one receptionist who worked with him and would greet patients as they walked in the door. But I do think that his colleagues, and I think he was, he was at NYU for a long, long time. I don't know that his colleagues ever truly accepted what he was doing. That's interesting because you and I both know that many, many patients, not only do they go to pain-free, they actually thrive at a level that they were never able to thrive before. And what Dr. Sarno didn't have is a current neuroscience that shows when you're relaxed, your body's full of oxytocin and dopamine and serotonin. So it's a great chemical path, com com great chemical bath compared to when you're stressed, when you're full of adrenaline, cortisol, cytokines, and histamines and on hyper alert. And so people assume because you can't see the lesion that it must be quote psychological, it's actually physiological. That when you're under threat, your body basically reacts in an appropriate way for a acute threat. But we know, we know very clearly that when stress is sustained, that that body chemistry actually makes you sick. I mean, there's paper after paper after paper that shows that chronic, chronic stress causes disease. But again, it's through the body's chemistry. It's not a psychological issue. Um, it, it's, it's also interesting you mentioned that Dr. Sarno started to talk to his patients. It's ironic in medicine that we have a huge burnout rate but the business of medicine has not allowed us to talk to our patients. Medicine, I think, is mind-numbing repetition. You do the same thing over and over and over again. What makes medicine very interesting is the patient because they are infinitely different. So paradoxically, a burnout physician is not very effective and it gets very boring and tedious. Conversely, taking the time actually to talk to the patient is huge both for the patient and the physician. But also, I think the essence of solving chronic pain is helping people feel safe, which I think starts with the doctor-patient relationship, which unfortunately in this day and age, for lots of different reasons, has become quite compromised. So if I recall carefully that one of the reasons that you decided to move on to your own private practice is that you had more control about your capacity to talk to patients. Is that true? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a few different things. And so the way I frequently describe my position at Northwestern University is that it was good, not great. And I was working in the integrative medicine center. And so in general, people were coming in to see me to talk about ideas that were outside the medical mainstream, which is an area that I'm very comfortable with. Right. But not a lot of those people were coming to talk about this. I would say one or two patients a week would come in and say like, hey, I've been reading Dr. Hanscom's book or Dr. Schubiner's book, and I want to talk more about what they've said. And this is, it's the fav my favorite thing that I get to do in the medical world. And I wanted to try to build that up as much as I could. I do, did a lot of other types of medicine. I do a lot of endocrinology and I manage hormones for women in menopause and sit with people and try to understand the full story as to why they're not feeling well. But, but what I've always been interested in doing is getting this information out to as many people as I possibly could. And ultimately, I didn't feel like I could do that at a major medical center. And I know you have had similar experiences. Right. 
what I say frequently, and I believe, is that within the big medical system, the idea that we're going to teach our patients to be healthy on their own so they don't need to come back and see us is right. ultimately not something that a major medical center can support. And Correct. so overtly or covertly, it wasn't a program that was going to become publicized within the big major medical center. Right. Unfortunately, I mean, I think the solution to chronic pain is actually a primary care wellness program. I mean, we somehow in medicine have said, well, we can't see the problem, go see a psychologist. Well, I mean, as you know, chronic pain involves sleep, stress management, medication adjustment, life outlook, physical conditioning, nutrition, and the person to do that perfectly is family practice. Mm-hmm. So I always thought the best person to solve chronic pain in general has been the family practitioners. One of my wishes, which I probably will never get to, is to train family practitioners how to do this, because it's not very hard. Mm-hmm. A lot of it's self-directed. We have also found out that the key factor of somebody getting better or not is your willingness to take charge of their own care, which means you have to learn the problem, understand chronic pain, understand mm-hmm. your situation. But since chronic pain is complicated and each person is unique, even if I could spend four or five hours per day with a given patient, I can't solve their problem because I'm not in their head. Mm-hmm. So teaching people how to take care of themselves is a huge deal. So I think that the solution to chronic pain is a primary care wellness program, moving away from the pain. Would you agree yeah. with that? I think that's a, that'd be a great place to house the, this type of program. I think that one of the things that's happened in primary care is that like every other aspect of medicine, the ability to spend time with patients has gone right. down and down and down. And so- right. I, I tell the story frequently about how friends of mine moved to Great Britain for 10 years. And when they would come back, they would say, we'd talk about the British health system and they'd say, you know, it's fine as long as you don't mind only spending 10 minutes with your physician. And that joke got less and less funny over time right. as the amount of time that American physicians got to spend with their patients got lower right. and lower. And the latest data I've seen on that is that the average office visit is 15 minutes, but eight of those are spent charting on the computer. And so right. it's really only seven or eight minutes to talk with someone, which just isn't nearly enough time to get a sense of who this person is, what's going on in their lives, and feel like, have people feel like the physician sitting in front of them cares about them and is trying to help. And again, the thing that people just don't understand is that when you have a nice relationship with your physician, you feel safe it changes your body's chemical makeup in a powerful way. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd like to just mention Dr. Schubner for a second. Actually, I consider Dr. Schubner, who wrote the book called Unlearn Your Pain. He's based out of Detroit, Michigan. Um, He works with one of my former fellows right now, Dr. Mark Moisey, who's chief of neurosurgery at the Detroit Receiving Hospital. And as you know, Howard's been remarkably academic in this whole situation. He I think makes at least me, probably all of us, toe the line a bit as far as the data. But Howard's been a remarkable influence. He, he did write the book called Unlearn Your Pain. But I was at his lecture in 2009 at a conference I put on called A Course in Compassion, Empathy in the Face of Chronic Pain. And he started listing the 30 symptoms of a fired up nervous system. And I, as you know, the worst part of my chronic pain, I had 17 of these things. And my wife started poking me and she, then she went up to Howard afterwards and started saying, well, I have this friend of mine who has all these different symptoms. <laughs> and of course, Howard figured out pretty quickly that it was me. But yeah. literally within 10 minutes after I heard his lecture and understood the problem, I started to heal. 
just understanding there's a reason why I was having rain in my ears, migraine headaches, burning sensations, skin rashes. It was unbelievable because my body chemistry was so far off for so long. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, so Howard is, um, uh, seriously, as you work with Dr. Dr. Sarno and Dr. Schumer, because they're both really great mentors. Mm-hmm. And what I want to talk about in the second <clears throat> half of this program is, <clears throat> excuse me, each one of us has evolved our own specific approach to treating chronic pain. So I'd like to <clears throat> go in detail about how your approach has evolved, which you find out that works for you. But if you wouldn't mind sharing a couple of success stories, which um, might illustrate some of the things that happen in your, in your practice. Mm-hmm. So um, talk about a couple of patients with migraine headaches. And so one of my patients and, and my patients will, you know, will host patient panels regularly. And so a number of these patients have spoken publicly about their experience. One of my patients had migraine headaches for 40 years and uh, would get almost 200 migraines a year. And so most days was disabled with a migraine. And she made 2013 the year that she was going to cure the migraines. And she did all kinds of things, including taking a mindfulness-based stress reduction class, which she loved, but it didn't change the migraines at all. And then her internist who worked in my office mentioned that she should come see me. And so we met in early 2014. And she recalls that one of the things that I said that really made a difference for her is I said to her, you know what, I don't think you're sick. I don't think you have a disease called migraines. I think you are sensitive. And I think you experience what goes on in your life in this physical way, but I don't think you have any disease. And she said, that was the moment you talk about when you heard Dr. Schumanner talk, that was the moment for her when she recognized that she might be able to get better. And initially she had said she would love to get 25% better, but very quickly she recognized that her migraines were a sign to her that something was going on in her life that needed attention, whether it was a work deadline or a worry about one of her children or a conversation she needed to have with her husband that she didn't want to have. And she started to interpret the beginning of a migraine in that way. And once she recognized that it was just her body's way of speaking to her, the migraine didn't need to set in and it wouldn't, uh, it, it wouldn't be there and ultimately would go away. And so she went from 200 migraines a year over the course of a year or two down to about one or two. Whenever she feels like she's going to get a migraine at this point, she says, what's her body trying to tell her? And she's trained herself to know what the answer is. And so um, it just doesn't set in anymore. And she doesn't, doesn't deal with it. What a great story. Yeah. I mean, I have the same experience that I may not feel anxious or frustrated or even triggered, but also the skin rashes will pop up on my wrist or my ears will start to ring. Mm-hmm. People start to burn. It's fascinating is that the mind and the body aren't really separate. They're simply a unit. I mean, mm-hmm. one can't exist without the other. So instead of feeling anxiety or frustration, I'll go and all of a sudden I look at the back of my wrist and there's a little skin rash. Mm-hmm. You go, okay, there's something going on with my body's chemistry. So you can use the physical symptoms as a feedback loop to what else is going on in your life. That's a great story. Yeah. Um, I'll ask you for another story. That's, that was a good one. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so another gentleman who came in to see me, this is even when I was working at the hospital, um, he, was a, he was an electrical company worker. And so I think he spent most of his time up on the electrical poles. And he had developed significant back pain with sciatica. And it was so bad that 
he, he came into my office and he couldn't, like, he couldn't sit down and he couldn't really stand up and he just paced around and he was sweating. And, and interestingly, like, I don't consider myself a particularly good radiologist. And so usually I rely on the radiology reads if I'm looking at MRIs or CTs. He didn't have one, but he had a, he had a, a CD of his MRI. And so I looked at, I looked at him and I went to look at the MRI and I came back in the room. I said, you know, this is the worst disc issue that I have ever seen. And he had come to me to talk about this. And right. I said, I'm just not sure that I can treat you in this way. And he said, he said, please, like it's in my head. I know it's in my head. It's not really? my back. He did. He said, it's in my head. You got to treat me as if it's in my head because he wow. was scheduled for back surgery. In okay. Two weeks. Okay. And, and I said, all right, well, it's, you know, it's two weeks away. It's not, it's not tomorrow. So we have a little bit of time, but if this is not getting better, I think you need to have surgery. He said, said, I know it's going to get better. And so he went home and for a couple of days, he just paced around and, and felt the same. And then he went outside and he started walking. And the first day he walked like down his driveway to the mailbox and back. And the next day he'd walked a hundred more feet and then a hundred more feet. And he went in to see the neurosurgeon two weeks later and said, you know what, I'm, I'm walking a half mile a day. Can we put off the surgery a couple of weeks? And the surgeon said, well, okay. But if you're not doing better, we're gonna do the surgery in two weeks. And he stayed one step ahead of the neurosurgeon. And he took my class, he talked with me a couple of times, he got a sense of where this intense stress was coming in his life. And finally, at some point, he went back to the neurosurgeon and said, I'm running three and a half miles a day. Oh, wow. And, and the surgeon said, I can't operate on somebody who's running three and a half miles a day. Right. And that patient, that was probably eight or 10 years ago, that patient continues to do well without significant back pain to this day. Right. Well, you know, I actually quit my surgical practice because of that exact type of story <clears throat> is that, you know, disc degeneration is shown not to be cause of back pain. Yet we're between ten to twenty billion dollars a year operating on spines that are basically normal for their age, mm -hmm. and so that's a pretty classic story. I just had a person met in New York, who's about forty-five years old, really active, athletic guy, but was had severe bilateral thoracic spine pain that was just destroying him for about eight years, and he had gone to a surgeon that told him he had the spine of an eighty-year-old. And what happens when you hear that, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because it just terrorizes you. Oh my God, I'm gonna be paralyzed, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, look, you know, dysregeneration is normal. You don't have an 80 year old spine. Um, literally within two days, his pain dropped down by 50%. Mm -hmm. And I talked to him about a week later, he's down about 70%. And I'm gonna talk to him again later this week. And it just understanding that this is not a major threat to your well being calms down the nervous system and actually starts changing the pain. So, well, John, thanks for your time in this. Could you give us a little bit more information about exactly where you're located in Chicago and how to get a hold of you? I see your website is drstracks.com. Mm -hmm. A nice yep. website with lots of success stories on it. Yeah. Still take it, you're taking on, taking on new patients? Yep, always taking on new patients. And so anybody who would like a consultation just needs to contact me and my staff and we'll get people all set. We're located on the near Northwest side of Chicago at 1828 West Webster Avenue. Uh, Drstrax.com is our website, 312-489-8890. We actually answer the phone, which is rare for a medical practice cool. these days. And then are you doing telemedicine also? I do do some tattle medicine. It, um, we have to make sure that it's the right situation just because we're mindful of licensing laws around the country. Right. Uh, but we have worked with a number of people in other 
areas and in other states who are looking for essentially coaching about this particular topic. And uh, we're happy to set that up as well. Because my understanding of that is if you're doing just coaching and not practicing medicine, that you can do coaching right. across different state lines, correct? Correct. And, you know, these days, medicine is practicing medicine is often uh, defined as prescribing a medication. And so since that's not what we're doing in this right. area, we feel comfortable with what we're doing. Okay. Well, John, thank you very much. In the next segment here, we're going to talk about your specific approaches and what you think works versus doesn't work and some of the um, services you offer in a group setting, which I find fascinating, but you have a lot of energy and I'm impressed. So. Good. Good. Thank you. Thanks. I'd like to thank our guest, John Strax, for being on the show today and for telling us about how his practice and his treatment methods for chronic pain evolved, as well as sharing some patient success stories with us. This is your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to return next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And remember to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.